Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They take care of our air conditioning and they do a great job. I hope you'll give them a call. You can visit the website johnsonsairconditioning.com to get more information. Also, Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll clean up uh, our discussion on, finish it up, on the last Supreme Court of the United States session. We'll also talk about uh, judges, the difference between progressive and conservative judges on the Supreme Court. Andrew Joppa is a professor at and uh, author of Josephus of Oz. We'll visit with Andy, as well as Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston, and author of several books. Uh, his latest is What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. It is July the 28th, and on this day in 1868, following its ratification by the necessary three-quarters of the United States, the 14th Amendment granting citizenship to all persons born or naturalized in the United States, including formerly enslaved people, was officially adopted into the United States Constitution. Two years after the Civil War, the Reconstruction Acts of 1867 divided the South into five military districts where new state governments based on universal manhood suffrage would be established. Thus began the period known as Radical Reconstruction, which saw the 14th Amendment, which had been passed by Congress in 1866, ratified in July 1868. The amendment resolved pre-Civil War questions of African-American citizenship by stating that all persons born or naturalized in the United States are citizens of the United States and of the state in which they reside. The amendment then reaffirmed the privileges and rights of all citizens and granted all these citizens the equal protection of the laws. In the decades that after its adoption, the Equal Protection Clause was cited by a number of African-American activists who argued that racial segregation denied them equal protection of the law. However, in 1896, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in Plessy v. Ferguson that states could constitutionally provide segregated facilities for African-Americans so long as they were equal to those afforded by white persons, to white persons. The Plessy v. Ferguson decision, which announced federal toleration of the so-called separate but equal doctrine, was equally used to justify segregating all public facilities, including railroad cars, restaurants, hospitals, and schools. However, colored facilities were never equaled in their white counterparts, and African Americans suffered through decades of debilitating discrimination in the South and elsewhere. In 1954, Plessy v. Ferguson was struck, finally struck down by the Supreme Court in its ruling in Brown v. the Board of Education of Topeka. So uh, this the the progress in uh, really fulfilling the vision of the Constitution. <clears throat> uh, a 38-year-old man and a 12-year-old girl uh, were reportedly struck by lightning Monday in North Naples. Uh, Kyer, uh, EMS and Cuyahoga County Sheriff's Office deputies responded to a call at 6.05 p.m. at Clam Pass Park. The two patients were identified, were taken to NCH North Hospital in stable condition. Monday's incident marks the third time in 10 days people have been struck by lightning in Lee and Collier counties. I thought I'd just highlight this because that seems extraordinarily high. We all need to pay attention when there's electricity in the air. It's, it's no laughing matter. The heat 
I just, it's amazing that people survive a lightning strike. It's unbelievable. Well, the CDC on Tuesday recommended universal masking of teachers, students, and staff, regardless of vaccination status. I'm not kidding. They really did. It's unbelievable. With Florida public schools set to open next month, the hot topic on every parent's mind is whether their kids will have to wear masks when they return to classes. In response to the ongoing debate and changing guidelines from federal health officials, Governor Ron DeSantis held another panel discussion at the Capitol Monday with participants who spoke against mask mandates. One even equated wearing masks to child abuse. With the recent uptick in uh, discussion around mask mandates in schools, this upcoming academic year and indications that the federal government might advise masking children as young as three years of age. Governor DeSantis wanted to exchange perspectives on this topic with experts. Uh, I can't pronounce this doctor's name. It's an Indian name, but irrespective, a well-known guy on the media a lot and other medical professionals, as well as concerned parents, students, and school administrators, said the spokesperson. DeSantis has has appointed state education commissioner Richard Corcoran and Republican-controlled legislature have maintained that wearing masks in schools should be optional. Corcoran sent a memo to uh, school districts in April that they should not require masks. Very positive development. DeSantis has been adamantly opposed to any mandates. In May, he signed an executive order lifting all local COVID restrictions and a month later signed into law a bill that permanently prohibited local governments from issuing any COVID restrictions. There can be a seven-day emergency, apparently, but uh, that can only be renewed five times. So, or is it seven times? Six times. So uh, 42 days total or uh, any kind of temporary restrictions. Thank you, Governor DeSantis. It's a great decision. We can all watch out for our own health. If we have suppressed immune systems, we can uh, try and avoid or, or reduce human contact. But let's keep the economy open and keep kids in school without masks. I just had to clear my throat there. Former President Donald Trump reacted in a sta- to a statement Tuesday night to the new Centers of Disease Control and Prevention guidance that it says both vaccinated and unvaccinated people should wear masks inside even. Can you believe that? We won't go back. We won't mask our children. President Joe Biden's administration learned nothing from last year, Trump said. Brave Americans learn how to safely and responsibly live and fight back. Don't surrender to COVID. Don't go back. Why do Democrats distrust the science? Don't let this happen to our children or our country, said President Trump. This is not a decision the CDC has made lightly, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky said in a media briefing on the latest guidance on Tuesday afternoon, it's not a piece of welcome news. This decision weighed heavily upon me, she said. Walensky said the reason for the change in guidance is due to more transmissible Delta variant of virus, which he said poses the most danger to unvaccinated and immunocompromised individuals. According to the agency, transmission of the new variant has increased the number of COVID cases nationwide by 300% and leading to more than uh, hospitalizations and deaths mostly among unvaccinated population. Trump's statement comes that the CDC issued new guidance during the day that both vaccinated and unvaccinated people should wear masks inside of facilities with a substantial or high transmission possibility. <clears throat> if uh, the vaccines work so well, uh, why uh, do we need to, where do uh, uh, vaccinated people need to wear masks? I don't understand that. Fact is that many people have that have uh, been vaccinated ha- are getting uh, the vac- the virus, and they say not as uh, severely, but nevertheless, uh, 
something's funny, something's weird about this. It makes no sense. And this is how the CDC is losing credibility by making these kinds of illogical decisions. Alex Berenson, you've probably heard about him. He's the guy that makes controversial statements about uh, COVID-19, and he wrote a book about it, which we have and I've read. And uh, he said, he wrote this, I realized something this morning. I'm sick to death of COVID. Not from COVID, of COVID. You probably are too, he, he writes. Let's be honest, totally honest. If the media hadn't been in a frenzy in the last 18 months, would those of us who've Aren't frontline medical workers have any idea COVID even existed? <clears throat> Not one of our fears of February 2020 have come to pass. No mass burials, no food sh shortages, no one dying in the streets. Hospitals have been open and able to treat everyone who arrives at their doors with COVID or without. You know one person who died? Yeah, I do. I actually do. Or become seriously ill? Have you heard uh, second or third hand of a person who is not over 75 or already seriously ill? who was a morbid, or mor morbidly obese who died. I'm just going to say it, 600,000 deaths has never looked more like zero, said Berenson. If you've never heard of COVID, maybe you would have been surprised last year to hear that grandma with Alzheimer's, no mind left but healthy, had suddenly died of pneumonia from an outbreak in her nursing home. Maybe that 400-pound guy down the street would have dropped from what you thought was the flu instead of the heart attack you expected. COVID barely exists for most of us. Still, the media and the public health authorities won't leave us alone. Every day they have something else. Long COVID, the variants, back and forth over mass, and now the vaccines and the vaccine mandates. Even if the vaccine were harmless to everyone, they are demonstrably not harmless. Under the circumstances, forcing anyone to take them would be wrong, but they can't help themselves, says Berenson. Not about the vaccines, not about anything else. This morning, the chief health officer of an Australian province told her subjects, I mean the free citizens of a democratic country, that they shouldn't talk to each other because somehow someone in the province has died of COVID. Now is the time for minimizing your interaction with others, she said. What? The only imaginable response to Dr. Carrie Chan is, who do you think you are? Since the beginning, COVID has been, been both a political godsend to the left and a big business. I've assumed that sooner or later the public health mandarins and the water carriers and the media would have to admit the truth, yet they won't. I don't know if they are still scared or how they can still be scared or if they just don't want to admit the absurdity of the last 18 months or if they are just in love with the power we have given them. This certainly expresses my sentiments. I don't know about you, but uh, I think it looks like uh, they're plowing uh, <clears throat> the fields and get ready, getting ready or more mass mandates and shutdowns, especially as we begin to get near the opening of school. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know, and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. 
Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization <coughs> and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. You can find out more by visiting gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is a constitutional scholar. He's also the chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and devoted to private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. Now, uh, we've been talking for the last couple of weeks about the last Supreme Court session, some of the highlights. I'd like to finish that discussion up, and if we have time, talk a little bit about the difference between conservative and progressive judges, especially on the Supreme Court. Uh, there's one case that's really got my interest. There's a lot of press about the NCAA antitrust case. Can you give us a little recap? Yeah, the case was NCAA versus Austin, and the, the issue was whether the NCAA could cap education-related compensation and benefits for college athletes in Division I football and basketball programs. And it was a unanimous decision. Judge Justice Gorsuch uh, wrote for the court, and he held that NCAA caps on these education-related benefits violate the antitrust laws. Uh, there are rules that limit other forms of compensation, and they're still enforceable for the moment. But I would say the handwriting is on the wall for uh, those rules as well. And in fact, the NCAA has already announced that athletes 
uh, can now be compensated for the use of their name or their uh, likeness. Yeah. So I think this is just a uh, a reflection of reality. You know, this was a, bound to come at some point. Uh, amateur sports has really been professionalized, and uh, the court's just recognizing what it, the facts on the ground are. I think it's a great decision myself, about, just because, not because of uh, the, the law, but because of my sentiment about the NCAA and our high-handed yeah. treatment of of, of uh, 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 athletes and uh, states and everything. It's just been amazing. So, yeah, yeah, I think that I I agree with that entirely. Uh, but on the, as a legal matter, it's also, I think, a correct decision. So, uh, I, how about next year's cases? What's on the horizon? Well, there are two major cases that are going to tell us, I think, how far the new uh, 6-3 conservative majority is willing to go. Uh, the first case is this abortion case, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. Uh, that's a case out of Mississippi, and the law would ban just about all abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. So the issue for the court is whether uh, all pre-viability prohibitions uh, on abortion are unconstitutional. Um, that'll be a, a really interesting and controversial case. And talking about controversy, uh, the second really big case involves the Second Amendment, and that's New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Corlett. This was an NRA-backed challenge to a law dating back to 1913, that requires, if you want a concealed permit, concealed carry permit in New York, you have to have a special need. And in this case, the plaintiffs, they were able to get permits for target practice and for hunting, but not for self-defense. So the court in this case is likely going to address what does the term bear arms mean in the Second Amendment. Most people think common sense tells us that bear means carry, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't be surprised for the court to establish a right uh, to carry arms, even outside the house, which goes further than the Heller case went. Heller was limited to the use of arms inside the house for self-defense. That is so interesting. There are several states that have uh, uh, open carry without a permit, quite frankly, in some states, as I understand. So this is, a, I think, a move in the right direction. I'd rather know that somebody has a gun and have it so you can see it as opposed to concealed. Yeah, some states allow open, some states allow concealed, some states allow both. Uh, I don't think there's any state now that doesn't uh, allow either, mm -hmm. um, one or the other. But there are some localities that don't allow one or the other. And, of course, New York by this constructive ban that says you have to have a special need, effectively they barred concealed carry. You know, in Florida, I think uh, you have can have concealed carry, but my understanding is that you're not allowed to brandish your, ar your arm. That would be a crime. Is that still true, do you know? I don't know. That's so interesting. Of course, I'm sure there's, there's some cases where justification would enter the picture, so there might be some circumstances where brandishing the arm is permitted, for yeah. example, self-defense. That uh, would make sense. So is there anything else that's notable for the next term? Yeah, there are two other cases that I think could be controversial. Uh, the school choice uh, area, we have this case called Carson versus Macon. This is being litigated uh, by the Institute for Justice, uh, where I sit on the board with pride. Uh, IJ is challenging a main law 
that uh, Maine, as in the state Maine, mm-hmm. uh, that bans families from a generally available educational choice program if they choose to send their children to schools that provide religious instruction. So this is kind of interesting because there, there are two prior cases, both of which were IJ, by the way, that, that set the framework at the Supreme Court. The first case was Zellman many, many years ago that said it was okay to include religious schools in a choice program, and that wouldn't violate the Establishment Clause, which says that you've got to keep church and state separate. And then the second case, the Espinosa case, just a couple years ago, said it was not okay to exclude religious schools solely because they were religious schools. So on the one hand, you can include religious schools. On the other hand, if you have a choice program, you can't exclude religious schools just because they happen to be religious. Mm -hmm. That would violate the free exercise clause. If this new case goes to the final step, the court's going to decide if it's okay to exclude religious uses of the funds that are provided in in these uh, choice programs. And then finally, last but not definitely not least, we might get an affirmative action challenge to Harvard's use of uh, racial preferences and admissions allegedly to the uh, disadvantage of Asian applicants. The court has asked for the views of the the, uh, Solicitor General. Um, That means we may not get the case next term. It might be extended to the following term. But at some point, I wouldn't be surprised for the court to grab hold of that affirmative action case and and tweak some of the rules that exist under prior uh, affirmative action cases. It'd be about time. You know, Bob, I I personally believe that affirmative action is a scourge on the law. It it is is really uh, perverse and uh, created a lot of mistreatment for a lot of people. So I would love to see affirmative action uh, shot down by the Supreme Court. I'm with you. And I think that uh, this... Existing emphasis on uh, identity politics and uh, critical race theory. I mean, basically, it's affirmative action by another name. That's all. And a little bit of Marxism stirred in there as well. Yes, yes. (laughs) So, hey, Bob, before I let you go, uh, we're going to go back and talk more about liberal and conservative judges uh, and the way they understand and apply the Constitution. Uh, Just to kind of set the stage, I'd like to ask you one question. Where did President Barack Obama stand when it came to uh, judges and uh, their understanding of the law? Well, he told us that the court should stand up for social and economic justice. Uh, he, w- he wanted justices who had the empathy to uh, recognize what it's like to be a young teenage mom or, or to be gay or poor or, uh, or black. So most you know, liberals ag- agree with that, although they, they use other labels such as the living constitution mm-hmm. as sort of synonyms for empathy and a social consciousness. Uh, the conservatives' response is that empathy is obviously desirable, but it's not a basis for determining what the constitution means. So interesting. We're going to pick up this conversation next week, Bob, and talk a little bit more about some of the differences among judges. I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. I'd like to remind our listeners to visit the website, cato.org, C-A-T-O dot org. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Good to talk to you. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. 
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of 1st Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. Many programs. The one is creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. And you can find out more by visiting thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. So what's on your mind this week? Uh, so much. I uh, have uh, taken a norm on your show to start out with some good news, although today it was very difficult to find. Uh, <laughs> let's see now. The good news that I found was that an asteroid, apparently the size of the Empire State Building, was heading in the general vicinity of Earth. And the good news, I think it's good news, will miss. I'm not sure. Perhaps it would have been better if it hit, but that's that's good news. <laughs> it In is addition, good. I, I think the women's soccer team, you know, getting beaten by Sweden 3-0 and playing a nil-nil, 0-0 tie with Australia, uh, also showed that uh, they seem to be uh, boycotting goal scoring. So, you know, I, I don't want to wish any uh, any athlete uh, poorly, or but again, for the women's soccer team, I'll make an exception. So that was good news. And a, and a real piece of good news, in a, in a sense, is Don Lamone stood up for the uh, the confrontation that Tucker Carlson went through in a, in a bait shop. And I, you know, it's not much, but uh, I think it, it's it's something that uh, shows there's some degree of, of uh, 
uh, of honesty as it pertains to how even the furthest on the left will will respond to situations. So, hey, but, uh, by the way, did you know that the guy who confronted Tucker Carlson at the bait shop, and I think it was in Montana or Wyoming, one of the two, anyhow, apparently he was a CIA operative? Yeah, he's got a very, very uh, complicated background, including that status of a CIA operative. So this was uh, you know, it, I think we can make the case that this may have been a planned confrontation. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, it certainly had all the, the earmarks of it. And uh, I thought Tucker handled himself in that situation very, very well. Yep. Uh, but again, yes, uh, that that was not just some some innocent bystander who happened to confront uh, Tucker Carlson. Yes, definitely. Um, yesterday, we had the American version of the, uh, the Stalin purge trials, the show trials. And I think the easiest way to describe them for your listeners who were, were fortunate not to have watched them uh, is that they can best be described as a series of lying and crying moments. Yep. Uh, first of all, the crying, we had uh, Adam uh, uh, Zinziger uh, uh, crying. Uh, this is a former lieutenant or present lieutenant colonel in the Air Force, the National Guard, uh, crying like a baby. We had Adam Schiff <laughs> is crying. Uh, we had the the, uh, the some of the uh, the Capitol police crying, just just amazing. This was not some major traumatic event that that should have generated that kind of emotion. Uh, it was either contrived. I hope it was contrived, actually, Bob, rather than a, a reality of their emotional state. Because right. uh, if if that is their reality, this is a, a scary environment we're looking at. Um, and of course, you had the uh, the lies coming forth from the uh, Capitol policeman Don who. Uh, describe the uh, the the murder of uh, of Officer Sicknick. Uh, this has been well documented that he died several days post that from strokes unrelated to the uh, to the Capitol uh, incursions. Uh, and then he added to that the the issue that he was also racially assaulted. The the N word was used. He said consistently. Uh, there's an old phrase in, in Latin which is falsus in uno, falsus in omnibus meaning lying in one situation, lying in all situations. And I think we, I think we, we saw that uh, yeah. yesterday with the, the Capitol Police officers who seem to be orchestrated in their, in their testimony. Uh, this is a, a show trial, a show trial, uh, again, meaning that uh, it is preordained in terms of its intent and its destination. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing here now. I think that could have easily been seen early on when Nancy Pelosi rejected the uh, McCarthy insertion of, uh, of Jim Jordan and Banks uh, into this uh, Republican group. Uh, she, she refused to have them there because she essentially understood uh, that, that, that they would be asking very, very challenging questions. Right. Uh, I think it was Officer Dunn who brought up the fact that uh, President Trump had organized this uh, this assault on the Capitol building. How he knew that, uh, God knows, uh, and also had uh, re refused to provide the appropriate military support. Totally ignoring that Donald Trump had called for additional National Guards prior to the uh, to the uh, the meeting uh, event in Washington D.C. that day, and also all of that was rejected by by Nancy Pelosi. So the amount of documented uh, absurdities that are being ignored in this situation is, is absolutely overwhelming in its implication. I think what we're looking at, again, is a, is a direction that we've seen uh, over the past several months, and I think it will persist into the indefinite future, where all uh, patriotic, let's just say patriotic Americans, are going to be labeled as, as extremists, 
and, and they will be shunned. They will be hunted down in some cases. Uh, and I think we're looking at, Bob, an extremely dangerous situation. Yeah, I agree with that. In fact, my personal opinion, I, I don't have proof of this, but I think it was actually orchestrated by Nancy Pelosi, not by Donald Trump. And I think that she asked uh, the uh, uh, military and others to stand down. I think she uh, got the cooperation of the Capitol Police in order to let people into the Capitol. It was a setup, quite frankly, in my opinion. And now she's orchestrating a trial to try and demonstrate or a, a, a committee to demonstrate that, uh, that somehow, some way, this splashes on conservatives and on Donald Trump. I, I totally agree with that, Bob. I heard some uh, conservative commentator describing Pelosi's refusal to bring in extra security forces as because she did not want to be seen as supporting any kind of police activity. I think that uh, is absolutely wrong. I think it's more in alignment with what you just suggested, uh, that she wanted this incursion to take place, and right. the only way she could ensure that it would take place at the level that she needed was by minimizing, uh, perhaps eliminating in many cases, uh, the uh, the security forces that would have made that uh, access impossible. Well, well you, we saw actual videos of uh, the uh, officers opening the gate or opening the, the barricade to allow people to come up. They almost invited them to come into the Capitol. There are hours of footage showing the people uh, walking around the rotunda. Uh, you see the police uh, interacting with them in a very uh, pleasant manner, I guess I would describe it. Right. Uh, you see this is not a, a serious threat uh, at all. There, certainly there were a few there that were very radicalized. But, you know, with the size of the crowd, there's always going to be a few extremists. And then, uh, But these did not define the process on that day. What they're making out of this is is absurd. I, again, last week I aligned it with the Nazi use of the Reichstag fire to uh, assault the communists, and I think we're seeing a very similar event here with the creation of the January 6th date being a, uh, a an ongoing manner of, to attack. Uh, I, I'm going to describe them just simply as loyal Americans, Bob. Absolutely. So, uh, just changing the topic slightly, but here we go again. Uh, now the CDC is deciding that everybody should wear a mask, especially and wear them indoors. Kids should wear masks to schools. Just as school is beginning to open, for example, in August here in uh, in Florida. Uh, t to me, this just reeks of political bias. Well, there's there's no doubt, and I I will predict I predicted it for a long while now. All of this. Uh, absurd COVID response will extend at least through the 2022 elections. I think we'll we'll see the same uh, absurd allowances uh, built on uh, the existence of COVID uh, that uh, destroyed the 2020 elections, made it, I, I believe, a fraudulent election. I think we'll see, to a, a large extent, those same type of processes uh, going on in 2022. And I think that's what's happening now. Uh, in terms of Americans that are resisting vaccination, I, I think it's being uh, mislabeled. I don't think they're resisting vaccination. I think what they are doing is resisting uh, the government in the sense that it's not trustworthy at this point. Mm -hmm. It hasn't uh, documented its, uh, its trustworthiness. Uh, they just withdrawn the PCR test, the one of the tests for, for COVID-19, because it produces so many false positives. And right. that was in, in place for well over a year, documenting a lot of cases of COVID-19 that essentially were not. Uh, it has been suggested that the absence of a flu season uh, last year was the direct result of almost all natural flu cases being shunted into being uh, described as COVID-19. Absolutely. Uh, so we can, we can see these measurable statistics. They are not 
necessarily smoking guns, but they but they certainly suggest that many of the COVID-19 deaths have been uh, superinflated. We saw a reduction in the number of deaths from stroke uh, and heart attack. Uh, that uh, there was no reason for that decline except those deaths and the numbers of those deaths were shunted into the COVID-19 category, Bob. No question. And, uh, you know, one statistic, I spoke with uh, Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator, a real hero, quite frankly, for me here in, in uh, Florida. And she said that uh, the Surgeon General in Florida said that uh, 97% of the cases uh, in hospitals were a result of uh, uh, Un- for unvaccinated patients. So I think that's probably true, but if you have to think about the fact that that's since the beginning of COVID started, when in many cases vaccines weren't available. I also heard a statistic that uh, 47% of all cases now, currently in hospitals, people that are in hospitals, let's say last week or two weeks ago, uh, were uh, people who'd been vaccinated. Yeah, the numbers are, are very, very striking in those areas. I know the numbers in uh, in the UK, for example, 40% of new cases have been people that have been vaccinated. Uh, an interesting subset of this is that, uh, again, a UK, a UK statistic is you are three times more likely to die from the Delta variant if you've been vaccinated. Uh, and that's a UK uh, statistic. Could so you, could you, repeat, could, you of, re- could you repeat that? Because that seems so significant to me. Say that. Oh, it, it is. It's significant. Um, the numbers are, are limited, but it is significant. Three times you are three times more likely to die from the Delta variant. This is in the UK. If you've been vaccinated wow. as compared to being unvaccinated. Wow. Now, they've tried desperately to explain that away, but it seems like a, a number that has significance now. The Delta variant is not a particular, uh, particularly virulent strain of, of, of COVID-19. Uh, so this is not something that has huge numbers. Uh, but again, we're looking at three times more likely to get it if you've been vaccinated than if, you've, if you haven't have been vaccinated. See, that's the only explanation I can think of why they would want to have uh, people who've already been vaccinated to mask up. Apparently, the, the conclusion that I think that perhaps behind the scenes and people are not talking about is the fact the vaccine is not getting the results they'd hope for. Well, I think that's been documented. As a matter of fact, uh, Pfizer's own studies have shown that after six months, the, uh, the effectiveness of their vaccine the declines precipitously. Uh, Israel had comparable studies showing exactly the same thing. Uh, and so when the American people are being accused of being traitors and ignorant and uh, being subjected to misinformation, I think we can look at real numbers, documented numbers. And the last two I just uh, suggested come from Pfizer themselves and from the Israeli studies showing that uh, these are these are these are real situations where the Pfizer vaccine is losing its effectiveness after six months. So uh, when we have so much misinformation coming from government, when there are so many misstarts and redirections with the masking situation, masks have been long documented as having almost absolutely suddenly uh, limited limited therapeutic value in this in this situation. Absolutely, uh, we're, we're looking at a, a circumstance where uh, ivermectin is being rejected. Uh, hydroxychloroquine has long been rejected. These two have been well documented as being significant therapeutic agents in dealing with COVID-19. And so when the American people are looking at the total package of the package of this situation, they aren't rejecting vaccination per se. They're rejecting the incredible level of misinformation and distortions coming out of the federal government. Bob. Well, I, I agree with that. But I will say this. Uh, I, I, in my little circle of friends and acquaintances, 
I have one friend who uh, just a few days after uh, getting the vaccine uh, had a stroke, had to go through speech therapy and all kinds of things. I had another friend who had to get two stents in his leg because of blood clots. I had another friend who, I, I don't know if it's necessarily causal. We don't know that any of these things are causal, but uh, he ended up uh, dying. He just died of a stroke uh, uh, a few days after taking the uh, the vaccine. So uh, to me, there's real reason, and the, the the death, the chance of death or hospitalization is quite small. So uh, if you get it, uh, some I may have already had it. Who knows? If some people are just totally asymptomatic. So there's no doubt that without a significant underlying vulnerability, almost no one has died from COVID-19, Bob. Yeah. Uh, so we're talking about this. There must be a significant, and this includes even the aged. The aged are not inherently susceptible to, uh, to, the, uh, to the mortality levels of, of COVID-19. But if they have an underlying vulnerability, then that's true. If you look at young children where they're trying to get uh, everyone vaccinated, including the youngest of, of our citizens, uh, essentially there's absolutely, that's too strong a word, uh, there's for all practical purposes statistically zero chance of their dying or becoming seriously ill from COVID-19. Yeah. And yet the pressures are on to get this done. There there seems to be something more sinister at foot, and, uh, and it's hard to define exactly what it might be, but um, certainly there seems to be more to what's happening than what, what we're seeing on the face of it, Bob. I agree with that. By the way, to your point about uh, the elderly, um, it's a good thing that both of us are young, huh? I'm sorry, but it's it's a good thing that both of us are young. <laughs> yes, yes. A little attempt yes, at humor yes, there. We, we, cer we certainly are, and it's a good thing your audience cannot see us. Huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, let's let's uh, let's uh, go go over to immigration right now, and uh, the whole motivation around people wanting to come to the United States. Uh, what are your thoughts around that? Well, I, I read consistently that uh, the, the uh, immigrants uh, are, uh, let, let me define this, break this up between legal immigration and uh, the illegal entrance, the illegal aliens. Uh, and I, if I'm talking about the legal aliens, I don't think, uh, as has been suggested, they're coming here to pursue the freedom of the American uh, culture and the American value system and the glories of our Constitution. I think they're coming here because of the handouts. Now, that may be certainly not a totally encompassing statement, but I think that's what we're looking at. I believe that these handouts did not exist. The, the level of illegal immigration would, would dry up precipitously if that, if that were to occur. Now, if I get into legal immigration, uh, I have, a, I have a quick story I'll tell you in regards to that. I was out at the north rim of the Grand Canyon. There's a car early in the morning and mine. The car is from Naples, a Mercedes-Benz. I run into this guy, and I'm talking to him, and he is an Austrian green card recipient. He won it in the lottery. And he, I said, what are you, you know, how come you're here? And he says, uh, I'm just so proud to be, to be an American. Now, that, that attitude is something that is so rare and so precious when you hear it, Bob. But I don't think that's what we're talking about with the illegal entrance. They're coming here for the, uh, for the uh, end result of the American taxpayer dollar, Bob. Yeah, well, you might be right, but I, I see it slightly differently. I, I, in fact, uh, most countries are run by uh, thugs and punks. 
there's a lot of fear of the government and what's going on. In fact, I think if the cartels are running Mexico, quite frankly. So I think a lot of people actually do embrace the whole notion of freedom. Even, quite frankly, it may be an illusion here in the United States of the way it might be becoming that. But uh, many people, I think, from other countries think that this is where people can really be free and pursue their own dreams. So, Well, uh, if I was to agree with you, which I'm not particularly prone to do, but uh, in this case, I, I, I do agree with you. I, I think essentially I think at least uh, to, to use the comparison, I would suggest that most of these legals probably value freedom more than most Americans or many Americans do, Bob. Yeah. I, I see right now this, uh, this <clears throat> slipping away. The, uh, by the way, before I get away from this point, let me just make a subset point from this. Uh, Jen Psaki, uh, day before yesterday, indicated that the, the government is in a cooperative relationship with Facebook to suppress what the government defines as misinformation. Now, misinformation to our government, of course, is anything that disagrees with the government's position. Now, if we look at the First Amendment and the government's inability, Ill illegal inability, to interfere with free speech, to use a surrogate does not make that any less, any more legal. So what, what we can see, even with Psaki's statement about the alignment of the government with Facebook, yeah. Using Facebook as the surrogate to suppress what the government wants suppressed, that is an obvious uh, uh, unconstitutional um, uh, maneuver uh, that should be uh, broached immediately by the Republicans, uh, and the issue should be brought, brought out more directly and perhaps even brought to the Supreme Court, Bob. That's such a great point. You know, I read that 1984 and uh, Animal Farm, and my sentiment was always, you know, the uh, government, they're just not smart enough to pull this stuff off. But the combination of something like Facebook, private enterprise, and government, well, it's the perfect combination to uh, destroy our freedoms. I mean, it's, they are actually doing it. It's unbelievable. And, and they're so uh, upfront up, up with this, Bob. It's amazing to acknowledge that the government is in a uh, an active process of, of suppressing information using the Facebook surrogate. Uh, I think is is a blatant admission of the unconstitutionality of their actions. And uh, I, I keep waiting for some significant pushback when these obvious illegalities occur, but uh, it, it just doesn't seem to be happening, Bob. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Andrew Joppa, again, you know, quite frankly, we've run out of time before we've run out of information and things to talk about, but I always appreciate your insights and thoughtful commentary, Andy. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. You suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees. I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. 
Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889. That's 598-3889. Or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. You can download the app by going to choicesocial.us. Choicesocial.us. Right now we have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in Space Architecture. Also the author of several books, I believe 10 of them. I've read most of them, if not all of them. Uh, his latest, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional? Just a very interesting read. Uh, uh, Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, I always enjoy it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Professor. So, uh, you, uh, by the way, writing a, a column, it's not weekly, I would say it's more often than that, but uh, in Newsmax, it's called On Point, and your latest is Dems Go Woke for Broke on spending and inflation. Uh, you really summarized and pulled it all together. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, actually, I'm kind of compulsive. I've been writing three articles a week. <laughs> but uh, this particular one, I think the big picture is that the, uh, you know, the Democrats are pushing a very big spending spree, and I think uh, the, the optics of that from the public are not real good for them. I think that we're seeing uh, already, you know, Inflation and uh, the suggestion that it's only temporary, I think, is problematic. Uh, no one knows where this is going to go, but it's it doesn't look like it's going to end well. But the my my take on it is that there's a game of chicken going on. I think that the I think the Democrats realistically realize they're going to lose the House in 2022. And I, I've never, I haven't heard many prophecies to the contrary. Mm -hmm. And uh, as we look at the, I think the big issues that have that are really bipartisan that people care about. One is the border, of course, and and we there's no there's no hiding that, particularly at a time of COVID concern and so on. And the crime issues, uh, lawlessness is something that affects the suburban people. It's not just exclusively a, a city issue, and I think it's morphing into the into the suburbs, and that's, that's unquestionable. And and I think the school closing and the notion that we're going to shut down again, and and particularly the it becomes a, a blue state, red, red state issue, and 
and uh, I think much to the detriment of the blue states in terms mm-hmm. of economic impacts and population changes and so on. But the, one of the one of the big issues is is uh, inflation, and we see how the spending, the, the COVID relief, has has been, if anything, damaging to a lot of the small businesses because uh, people get paid more to stay home, which kind of is very much of a socialist view, than, than to go to work. And so businesses suffer, and and as they go out of business, of course, employment suffers, and and they're paying, having to pay more for for the goods and services they provide, so prices go up, and they're going up quite dramatically. So yeah. I sort of see it as a Hail Mary. I think that the Democrats are seeing that they can't win in 2022. They may lose the Senate. So they've got to push, push through every kitchen sink item that they want to fund, uh, even at the realization that, again, it's, it's further damaging their chances of of holding the House and, and very possibly the Senate as well. So, But uh, this game of chicken is a dangerous one because it's it's really putting you know the, our, our children and their children at risk because the amount of money that they're just pumping into these you know, social engineering programs is astronomical. Mm-hmm. And at a time when you know, Social Security and Medicare and, and Medicaid and these, these other programs are just about bankrupt, about to be bankrupt. They want to lower the, you know, the entry age for Social Security. They want to provide Medicaid, free Medicaid services to people that illegally cross the border. And and uh, I think it's going to be a train wreck. We'll see, see who survives. Yeah, make a great, so the whole notion is the, the, Clock is running down. Time is running out. The the writing's on the wall. The Democrats are saying we're probably not going to be able to to uh, keep the House and maybe not the Senate. So uh, we need to push through all this uh, draconian, all these draconian measures to turn us into a socialist or communist country, and we need to do it in a hurry. And uh, that includes raising taxes, by the way. And, and to your point about inflation, six percent inflation. Five percent inflation—that's just like a five percent pay cut. That's more significant for uh, the poor than it is for the rich. So there's no there's no way that you could say that the, somehow, some way, this is to support uh, people who are in need or, or the, uh, the, the disadvantaged. This, well, yeah. yeah go I'm ahead. sorry. Yeah, absolutely, and they say it's, it's going to just tax the rich. Well, that's that's not true. One of the interest. One of the I would say interesting. One of the Scary things is that they want to they want to tax uh, a property in a way, personal property. Like like let's say you have a home and you and, uh, and the, you know they say well if if you make a million dollars or more a year, then you can be ta- that'll be taxed as ordinary income, ordinary capital gains rate. And so so let's say you know you inherit a property or you want to pass it on to your your children, and, and, you know, maybe it costs, one time that house cost $75,000 or $100,000, and and with, through, appreci- you know, through the kind of phony appreciation where where money loses value, the the house uh, ticket price keeps going up and up, mm-hmm. 
However, the real, you know, if you look at it in terms of its, quote, real value, it hasn't changed. But now that now, at time of sale, the person that, that receives the home, it may push them into a capital gains bracket where they're paying, you know, 35%, whatever, uh, capital gains on that on that house. And yeah. so the only one that comes out on it is, the, you know, the bureaucrats. And I'll just point out and, that uh, uh, property... Sure. Property has a, a step-up basis upon death, so uh, you you end up owning the property with a basis of what the value was at death or six months after, not at the time that was bought. And what you're pointing out is the basis retains the, is the same after you die, after the person dies, so that the person who inherits it has the same basis that uh, the capital gains taxes could be immeasurable. Yes, and uh, so we, you know every every which way it's. It's a disaster, and you can imagine, uh, you know, we have Bernie Sanders heading the Senate, you know, class committee, and you got Elizabeth Warren there pushing very hard, and with AOC, spending's no limit, you know, and you got Schumer who's scared to death about being primaried by uh, by AOC next, you know, next time round, and Pelosi's losing her, her grip on a lot of the members of the uh, House because... Yeah. Uh, they realize that if they continue to support these crazy far-left programs, their constituency is going to bring out the pitchforks, you know. And, of course, that's what Cinema's concerned about and, and Mansion and so on. And so it's a, you know, they're playing chicken with, with the future of the country, and that should be alarming to everybody. Yeah, and chicken with the American people, too. I mean, uh, the, this whole notion of uh, pre preschool and post-school education, most people want school choice. They don't want government schools. So uh, this just flies right in the face of American sentiment, or for the majority of American sentiment, I would say. Professor, I just so much appreciate your commentary here on the show. I want to remind our listeners about your book, your latest, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. Just such an interesting read. I hope you'll uh, go to uh, any good book purveyor and, and get a copy. What makes humans truly exceptional by Larry Bell. Professor, always appreciate your commentary. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, I always enjoy it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Professor. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Uh, tomorrow, <clears throat> we're going to visit about with uh, Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. We'll also visit with uh, Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Sean Flanagan, he was on the show last week, and I lost him just as I was introducing him. So uh, we're going to be talking about the Prosperity Index, such an interesting study. It's the second annual. I look forward to that discussion with Sean as well. And then we have a guest from the Heritage Foundation. We're talking about uh, uh, immigration and what's going on in that front. Always appreciate your comments here on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>